Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to our Sunday School series that we're starting today dealing with the second half of 1 Peter. So if you don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter number 2. Now earlier we had done 13 lessons going through the book of 1 Peter and so now we're going to hit the second half and finish this up. Now remember that the whole theme of 1 Peter was the theme of this that uh, based off of a promise that the Lord Jesus Christ had given to uh, to Peter. And this promise was found in the gospel records when it says, when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. And we know that the book of First and Second Peter are, is that continuation of the promise of what God had given Peter to do with the purpose of strengthening the brethren. The book of First Peter is written approximately 60 AD with the idea that persecution around the corner, starting with Nero, the crazy Caesar of the Roman Empire was going to bring a persecution uh, down upon the uh, those who made a profession in the Lord Jesus Christ. And knowing that persecution is going around the corner and knowing that the hardest times are yet to come, the principle is, is now is the time to start developing the habit of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ before the persecution comes. It is much easier to live for the Lord when you have freedom to do so and the choice to do so than when the hard times come. Of course, the same principle is applied uh, with the idea of a young man or young woman that before they get married is the time to start developing the habit of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ because when you get married it becomes harder not easier to read your Bible. It becomes harder not easier to get times alone to pray to God. And we could see these habits. We see these principles found throughout that we're supposed to develop the habit of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ to strengthen the brethren for the things to come, even the things that are unknown. We know that there are spiritual battles that are going to come. Now is the time to start developing the habit of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. So with this, as we now pick up the continuation of our our series of the book of 1 Peter as we now start this new Sunday school series of strengthening the brethren, we now find our way to the book of 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2, and if you don't mind, we're going to start in verse number 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse number 21. Notice what the word of God says. For even, for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye shall follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own 
himself bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Peter chapter number 2? The book of 1 Peter chapter 2, and notice at the very end of verse number 25, where it speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ, and it describes him as the shepherd and bishop of your souls. The shepherd and bishop of your souls. Now, Inside of the Word of God, the, God's favorite way to describe the relationship between His people and Himself has always been the picture of the shepherd and the sheep. All throughout the Bible you see this phrase dealt with it, the idea of the shepherd and the sheep. Whether it's Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And as you walk through that psalm, you can see this wonderful picture of the shepherd taking care of a sheep. But why is it that God compares us to sheep? Well, first of all, sheep are stupid. They are very much stupid. What do you mean by that? Well, there was a place, I forgot, somewhere in the Middle East, just several years ago, where there was some shepherds that were supposed to be watching 40,000 sheep. That's quite a bit. And they decided they were going to take a breakfast break, and all of the shepherds left. And one of the sheep went over a cliff. And because one went over the cliff, another one went another one went, and another went, and 10,000 of those sheep fell over the cliff, just followed one to another, just followed each other to their own destruction. Hundreds of sheep were killed, others were injured. Why? Because they didn't have any shepherd at the moment, they did whatever they want, sheep are stupid. Without a doubt, people are stupid. We are stupid. And that's how God compares us. We're, what else about sheep? Sheep are helpless. They have no defensive capabilities. They don't have fighting capabilities. In fact, sheep are so helpless that if they fall on their back, they can't get up. They actually need someone to help them get back on their feet. They are helpless creatures. They are stupid creatures. They're defenseless creatures. And that's why God says... They need a shepherd. They need a shepherd. Left to their own devices, they can't take care of themselves. And so throughout the word of God, you can see this special relationship that God places with his people of the shepherd and the sheep. That we're the sheep, we need help. Now other times that you think you don't need help, that's actually probably when we need the most help. Because we're pretty soon we're going to fall off. You know, sheep fall into the same traps over and over again. That there's a sheep that sometimes like to wander away. They'll fall off a cliff and, nah, and they can't get back up. A shepherd has a special staff with a hook on it that allows him to pick up the sheep and bring them up. Well, the sheep doesn't learn his lesson. He goes, hey, there's something back down there. And he falls down that same cliff. 
and then does it again. Well, eventually the shepherd, being a good shepherd, has to break the leg of the sheep so that way it learns not to go down there. But the shepherd doesn't leave them. The shepherd actually carries the sheep around until that leg is healed and it can walk on its own. Why does he do it? Not because he's being mean, but he's trying to teach the sheep, don't go down there. Because over and over the sheep fall down, fall down that same cliff over and over and over. That the Bible describes this relationship as the shepherd and the sheep. And here, as it gives this, verse 25, For ye were as sheep going astray. How are we described? Sheep going astray. Doing our own thing. Not following where we're supposed to go. Just going wherever we want. So because of that, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Now as it describes this, he describes himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, in three ways in this passage. As the shepherd, as the bishop, and as our example. Let me show you a couple things really quick and then we'll dive in a little bit more with the principle here. But it says, for ye are sheep going astray, but now our return to the shepherd. The first thing that we see is this idea of a shepherd. The idea of a shepherd is someone who lovingly cares for the sheep. The Bible gives this description. Now let's turn there. The gospel record of John chapter 10. We're coming back to uh, 2 Peter in just a second. But notice as Jesus is called the good shepherd. John chapter number 10. John chapter 10 and notice with me, as you turn to John chapter 10, we can see as Jesus himself is teaching the people around him that he is the good shepherd. Notice with me in John chapter 10, and notice with me starting at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf cometh and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. Now here Jesus is giving a description of the difference between a shepherd and a hireling. A shepherd is willing to risk his life to give his life for the care of the sheep because he cares for them. Of course we know this is true because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. He didn't spare his own life. That is the good shepherd that he gave his own life for the sheep. But in this illustration, he says there's a shepherd, one who actually cares for the flock. But then there's a hireling. A hireling is just someone paid to do a job. We all work with those people. I get paid to do a job, but it doesn't mean I'm going to have to do anything. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to work harder getting out of work than actually doing the job. And, and when it comes time that trouble's going to be there, when it comes time that hard times, that hireling, nope, not my job. Nope, not going to do anything extra. Nope, not going to work. That's not the idea of a shepherd. A shepherd cares for the sheep and is willing to put his own life at risk to help the sheep, to care for the sheep, to make sure that they have what's needed rather than, ah, it's inconvenient, not my job, I'll wait till next shift and put it off. There is a difference. Well, Jesus Christ is the shepherd and bishop of our souls. Notice, if you don't mind, as we go back to 1 Peter chapter number 2, that 
it describes him as the good shepherd. And again, we could take lots of time to talk about Jesus as the good shepherd. In fact, we preached a whole series on it not too long ago where we talked about this relationship of the shepherd and the sheep. Notice something else that it talks about Jesus in verse number 25, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. For ye were as sheep going astray, but now return to the shepherd and bishop of our souls. The word bishop carries the idea of one who protects, guards, and oversees. We usually just shorten it up to a one-word definition of an overseer. But with this overseer, it carries the idea of one that's accountable. The idea of a bishop is one that has, is in charge of making sure things are taken care of. Again, go back to the hireling. If things are not on the shelf, well, not my job, no big deal. But someone who cares, hey, what can we do to get the shelves restocked? What can we do to make this up? You know, um, <laughs> again, working at different places, you get different experiences. So let's say that you run out of feed for the cattle. Well, guess we don't have anything. Oh, well, I'll just wait. Someone else could deal with it. No, the shepherd, the overseer is going to make sure that we have what's needed to make sure that they're taken care of. That's what Jesus Christ is. He's the overseer. He's in charge of making sure we have what is necessary. He's accountable to make sure things are taken care of. This is that relationship that he has. He doesn't pass it off. He's also in charge of overseeing that we have what is necessary. And so again, it's another title with the same... On connotation of that he's the shepherd and that he's the bishop. He's the one who pastors, who cares for the flock. He's the overseer. He's the one who, who's in charge of making sure that they have what they need to be protected, to go on. Something else about the Lord Jesus Christ that is described here, verse number 21, for even hereto, as you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye shall follow his steps. Another thing we find about the Lord Jesus Christ is he is our example. What does that mean? He's a pattern to follow. What do you mean? Well, in this passage, it gives the pattern that Jesus Christ gave us to follow in our life. Notice with me, if you don't mind, verse 22. Who did no sin. Well, that's a big ask. He did no sin. Well, that shows us that we have that example to follow. One of our problems is we love excuses. Well, I'm only human. And we say that with the idea to excuse my mistake. Why? Why should that be used as an excuse? We should be striving to be more and more like Jesus. And not give excuses for the things that we do. Well, I just can't help it. Why not? God can give you victory. God can give you help. Notice it goes on. Here's another big thing. Neither was there guile found in his mouth. This word guile is a very interesting word. It follows within the family of sins of lying, but it's not quite lying. What is guile? Guile is the idea of telling the story where you exaggerate or leave out information in such a way that you make yourself look better or make someone else look worse. And so, yeah, sure, you're telling the story, you're telling what happened, but you're twisting it just a bit to make yourself look better or someone else to look worse. You say, what do you mean practicing guile? All right. Have you ever had to report to a principal, parent, boss, whatever else, and you practiced what you were going to say, 
beforehand trying to get the right wording, trying to get it to be the right thing so you looked better or someone else looked worse. Sure, this didn't get ordered, but it wasn't technically my job. It was so-and-so. Oh, this happened here, and I tried to do the best I could, but you understand it was him. And you're twi twisting things. And so, again, people in America, we have lying as a national pastime. It is an acceptable thing. We tell little white lies as a matter of course. That carries the idea of guile. Little white lies is guile. It carries the idea here that you're not telling the whole truth. You're telling most of the truth, but you're telling it in such a way that you look better or someone else looks worse. Now, it's not the idea of a flat-out lie. It's the idea of just a little white lie, just a little bit of twist. But notice what it said about Jesus Christ, verse 22, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Jesus could never be accused of giving a little white lie. Never could be accused of exaggerating or twisting the truth. He was honest in all things, which is something that most of us could not say. We have a normal habit of telling a story to make us look better or someone else to look worse. Jesus is the example to follow. Notice verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Now this is a big deal. When they nailed Jesus Christ to the cross, they were making fun of him. They were mocking him. Think about the soldiers as he was getting tortured before the cross. They took his, their fist and balled it up and hit him in the face while he was blindfolded and said, who hit you? Where did that come from? And at no time did Jesus say, all right, you don't understand. I'm God. I'm going to bring down angels. I'm going to get back at you. He didn't threaten them at all. He didn't say, listen, you're going to get what's coming to you. You just wait. He didn't threaten. He didn't revile. He didn't try to get back. Again, revenge is a national pastime in America. We like to get back. We like to get even. We like to show them. But Jesus didn't do that. He was an example to follow. What did he do instead? Notice what the Bible says in verse 23. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not. Man, how easy is it for when we're hurting to lash out at people? There's a saying of hurting people hurt people. And that we lash out at people. And we use it as an excuse. You have to understand I'm just hurting. It is never an excuse. Jesus Christ is an example of that. In fact when Jesus Christ was on the cross. There were seven sayings. Seven statements that Jesus made. And the book of Isaiah actually makes this prophecy. Of the tongue of the learned. That's an amazing phrase. The tongue of the learned. What does this come from? Well, the tongue of the learned is the seven sayings of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ was on the cross and in intense pain from the scourging and actually death of the cross, he made sure his mother was taken care of while he was on the cross. While he was on the cross, he forgave the sins of everyone there. While he was on the cross, he won the thief next to him to the Lord and said, I'll see you in paradise. He did thirst. He was naturally through the things. And then he commended God his spirit. 
Now, when you're in pain, is that the type of sayings that come out of your mouth? This is why the Bible says the tongue of the learned. This is something that comes when we decide on purpose to follow after Christ. And not allow suffering to give us an excuse to hurt other people. Just because you're hurting doesn't mean you have to be grumpy about it. You don't have to get back and let other people be as miserable as you are. Jesus was that example. Notice again. It says, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Here's the example that Jesus Christ gave in his human form. We know that he was God. But as Jesus Christ, he was God robed in flesh. And in that, he was our example. And he said, I'm going to let God take care of the people. It is not my job to take care of them. It's not my job to bring down revenge. It's not my job to bring judgment upon them. It's my job to please him and let God take care of them. How many times we try to get revenge on our own? We try to get back at people that hurt us. We silently cheer in our mind that they get hit by a semi-truck. That we want something bad to happen to them. Instead of just saying, God, you deal with them. I'm going to try to do my best to follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not be grumpy because I'm hurting. Not get back at people because they've hurt me. Not make other people miserable because I am hurting. Here we have this example of Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree. That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes you are healed. In verse number 24. Jesus Christ paid our sin debt. And not only paid our debt. But he also freed us from the bondage of sin. Meaning you no longer have to sin because of what Jesus Christ did. You can no longer say that I couldn't help myself. You could help yourself. Sinning is a choice now. And he gave us the example. He gave us the freedom. We don't have to sin. We could choose to live righteously because of what Christ has done for us. He was our example. And so as we talk about this, that we're supposed to be strong in following our shepherd. That he was our shepherd. He's our bishop. He's our overseer. And he's our example. Now with that in mind, knowing who Jesus Christ is, let's study a little bit more about who Jesus Christ is because he is our great shepherd. First of all, we understand that Jesus Christ, he sees. He sees. The Lord always sees us. He looks upon us because he loves us, not because he desires to catch us doing wrong. He looks upon us because he loves us. Do you ever wonder if God cares? Well, don't fret over that. He's looking at you now. He cares about every detail of your life. The Bible talks about that he has all of the hairs of your head numbered. Now, it doesn't mean that he knows that you have 5,649 hairs. He actually knows that if you pulled one of them out, that it's number 239. He knows the details of your life. He cares about every aspect of your life. He sees. There are times that we get in the pity party disease that says, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody cares what I'm going through. He does. 
He does. He sees every aspect of your life. He cares about every little bit of it. He cares from your little problems and he cares for the big problems. He cares what you go through. He cares what you do. He cares about you. He sees. He sees everything about your life. There is nothing hidden. By the way, that's an encouraging thought. It could be a discouraging thought if you got a lot of things to hide. But it's an encouraging thought. When you realize he sees every aspect. When nobody else knows what you're suffering through. Nobody knows what you're crying in your pillow at night over. He knows. He sees. Something else. Not only does he see. But he seeks. He seeks. The Bible talks about over and over. He is a seeking God. Think about at the very beginning. The fall of man. Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve sinned against God. And the very first thing they felt is they felt ashamed. And they hid from God. What did God do? God walked on the cool of the garden. Adam? Adam? Where are you? What was he doing? He was seeking. He was seeking. He was looking for him. He is seeking us. He is seeking to save that which was lost. In fact, hold your finger here and turn with me to the gospel record of Luke. The gospel record of Luke in chapter 15. And I'd like you to see a little bit more of this seeking God. Luke chapter 15. As we're talking about Jesus being the shepherd of our souls, I want you to see in the parable of lost things, in Luke 15, there are three things that are lost and three things that are being sought after. First of all, we have the lost sheep, we have the lost coin, and we have the lost son. Let's look at the lost sheep. Luke 15 and verse number 1. Then drew near him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with him. And he, Jesus, spake this parable unto them, the publicans and sinners, or, <coughs> saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it. And when he findeth, he layeth on her shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth his neighbor and his friend, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than the ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now think about this. Jesus is in in the crowd with publicans who, by the way, were very much looked as pariah of uh, the Jewish culture. They were very much considered traitors and, and collaborators with the Roman government and sinners. Other sinners, Jesus uh, worked with those sinners. Then you had the self-righteous Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. We are right with God because of what we do. And they're looking at Jesus hanging out with all those lost sinners. Why does Jesus hang around there? If he was as holy as we were, he wouldn't defile himself with such filth and trash. So Jesus goes and tells him a story. He says, what happens if you had 99 or 100 sheep? And you had those 100 sheep 
and you start it counting. Can you imagine trying to keep track of a hundred sheep? Keep track of them and you find out you're missing one. And you look around, can't find him. He's not, nope, count it again, 99. He says, which of you would not leave the 99 and go search for the one? And even though he's telling the story in a brief way, it carries the idea that this search was not just, oh, there he is. But it was the idea that you're looking all over. Hey, number 100, where are you at? Hey, where are you at? Hey, and it was an ongoing search. How do you know it was ongoing search? What happened when he found him? He's rejoicing and telling, look guys, I found him. Why is he telling them that he found him? Because he'd asked them before. He lost them. And he was telling them, pray for me, look for him. Can you find it? It was a big deal. Look, I got him. I got him home. Look, I found him. And with that same excitement, the Lord Jesus Christ says, oh, by the way, for every time someone accepts Christ as Savior, someone gets saved, they get forgiveness of sins, there's rejoicing in heaven because of this. And there's more rejoicing over that one who was lost but is now found than the 90 who didn't need to be found in the first place. He went after the one. Of course, he goes on and talks about the woman with the lost coin. Here's a lady who lost some money. Now, by the way, if you're rich, no big deal. But if you're poor like the rest of us, if you lost a $100 bill, wouldn't you be like searching, tearing up that house, trying to find that thing? Absolutely. If you ever get to see a $100 bill, if you lost a hundred, that would be a big deal. And you'd be calling, hey, I can't find it. I know I had it. I need it. I can't find it. Calling your friends. Can you pray for me? Can you find it, please? Can you pray that I find it? I'm trying to retrace my steps. I've looked at my car. I've tore up my couch cushions. I've looked everywhere. I can't find it. I don't remember what's at. And then when you finally found it, it talks about the lady. Woohoo! I found it. She calls on her. I found it. Thank you. I found it. It's a big deal. Yeah. And Jesus once again says, listen. Verse number 10, likewise I say unto you, there's joy in the presence of angels over one sinner that repenteth. With that same joy, it's not, yay, another one. There's rejoicing, there's excitement because we have a seeking God. He is seeking, he is looking for it. It goes on and talks about the parable of the lost son. Here's a son that said, I want my inheritance now. Dad, I know you're not dead, but I want my inheritance now. He takes the inheritance and he spends it in riotous living. Carries the idea he just wasted it. He didn't invest it. He didn't work for it. Didn't get a job. He just blew it in parties, blew it in everything. And he had friends as long as he had money. And when the money went away, he had no friends. They weren't friends at all. And he comes to the place where he's looking around and says... I got to get a job. I'm going to starve. I'm going to die. And so he works at a farm slopping the pigs. Now, this is a big deal for the Hebrew people because pigs are considered unclean animals. And that the Hebrew people aren't supposed to even touch pigs. But here he is. It's his job to slop the pigs. And he's looking at the slop going into a trough. Now, for those of you who haven't lived country life, let me tell you what slop is. Slop is all the leftovers. Corn husk, all the leftovers from the kitchen table, anything that, uh, watermelon rinds, orange peels, leftover milk, anything and everything goes in the slop bucket. 
And as he's slopping the pigs, he's looking, licking his lips and said, man, these pigs are eating more, better than I am. And he's actually thinking about taking some of that slop and eating it. He's that hungry and that desperate. And he finally says, I'm going to go home. I'm going to give it. And he comes up with this big speech about how, don't call me a son no more. Call me a servant. And he comes back. Meanwhile, we come back to dad who every day has been looking at the horizon, waiting for his son to come home. And one day, sees on the horizon, is that him? It looks like him. It's him. And he takes off running. And when he comes to get the son, the son's got a big speech, but the dad puts his arms around him. And you have to get the inflection. Put the fatty calf. My son's come home. He's all excited. He got ran. He didn't just like, what's up, boy? He was so excited to see the son he'd been looking for all the time. By the way, in that same story, you had an older brother who was just as far away, even though he wasn't far away in location. He was far away in the heart. By the way, that's what Jesus was getting to. There was excitement over the ones that were lost, but now were found. Then the righteous ones who didn't need finding. And Jesus is pointing out, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be looking for that. We have a seeking Savior who cares for the sheep and is looking for those lost things, looking for the lost ones. You were once that one out of the hundred. And he left the ninety and nine to seek after you. He seeks to save that which was lost. Which brings us to the last things. He saves. Going back to 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. Notice with me in verse 14. We hit this before. We'll hit it again. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness whose stripes ye were healed. What we see here is that the payment of sin is death and hell. And Jesus paid that payment on our behalf. And when this happens, he saves us from the penalty of sin. But then he also saves us from the power of sin. He is a saving God. He saved us so we no longer have to owe God the debt of hell again. But he also saved us so we no longer have to sin again. Sinning is now a choice we make. It's not an obligation or something that we're in bondage to. Jesus Christ saved us. That is the shepherd that we have. He is the great shepherd. He is a shepherd that sees everything about us. He is a seeking savior who goes after us. Oh, I'm so thankful that he goes after us. He doesn't wash his hands of us. And then he saves us. I'm so thankful he could save to the uttermost. Some people say, listen, you don't understand my sins. I've sinned a whole bunch. I said, I may not understand the sins that you have, but let me tell you about the Savior that I have. He is able to save from every single one of them. He is that good, that big, that amazing. He is seeking after you. And so our encouragement for you is to look up to Jesus Christ who is our great shepherd, who is our bishop, our overseer, and he's our example. He is the shepherd and bishop of our souls, that he is seeing everything we've gone through. 
He has sought after us and brought us to the place where we could accept the forgiveness of sins because of his shed blood. And then he saves us. Oh, I'm so thankful that he has saved me from the penalty of sin. And he has saved me from the power of sin. He is a great shepherd indeed. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.